0: Welcome to the Practicology Podcast, everyone. Delighted to have you with us and delighted to have another guest contributor on with us today. Vincent Kember is back with us for the third time. Vince has also been with us to discuss unity, episodes 37 and 39, and then to discuss what we should expect from government and how to respond to our government. That was episodes 90 and 91. And today, Vince is here to discuss the intersection of art and faith. Thanks for being with us again, Vincent.
1: Thanks so much for having me again, Matthew. It's always a pleasure to be here. So as someone who's been um, a believer and an artist for a good part of my life, I guess, I would say I'm still um, reconciling or working working out how to reconcile these these two things in my life. And this is kind of what I want to explore in the podcast today. Um, I don't think it's God's plan that these should be separate areas of our life. I think he wants our faith to be integrated in, in all areas of our life. hmm I think that the arts is something interesting when it comes to to Christianity, and particularly in our circles, it's something that's not always encouraged. Um, People are not always encouraged to pursue it. Um, So either explicitly, sometimes people see it as something that's risky or that can be even an anti-Christian environment, which is often true in in contemporary art today, or maybe just something that's wasteful, that's not practical. And then sometimes implicitly, um, it's not encouraged because we don't always make a room for creative types or for opportunities to serve the kingdom for people that are creative with their gifts. There's sometimes a lack of positive role models as well.
0: Yeah, I think there is definite truth in all of that. I'd like to think we've made some small steps forward in recent years. Here in the podcast, we had Seth Griffin Back in episode 61 and 63. I know you've, you know, recall those ones about Mm -hmm. uh, art and the Christian. But your point is definitely still valid. We believe it's worth revisiting and we're bringing it to people's minds once again. And I know you're coming at the subject from your own creative angle today.
1: Yeah, thanks. Good reminder there, Matthew. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm hoping to do over these two sessions so, sort of the first session would be thinking about the value and the importance of art and of creative action within a biblical worldview. And then hopefully in the second section, more of a call for believers to develop their creativity and to put it to use in God's kingdom. Sounds good. So sort of the outline of what I'd like to go through today is some myths to dismantle, some some scriptural clues to the importance of imagination, creativity, um, attention to beauty. So going through sort of an overview of scripture, then understanding the, the power of art as embodied creatures, and then finally understanding Christian art uh, more widely than sometimes we do. So we can dive in with some of the myths, as I've called them, to to dismantle things that perhaps um, are passed down to us more from our culture that we imbibe, we absorb, and that aren't necessarily true or necessarily biblical. So here's a few I've thought of First one is that artistic ability is something that only some people have, that's just for a select group. And this actually might be the hardest myth to overcome because it's a cultural script that we often have grown up with our whole lives and we've believed without necessarily knowing why or really thinking through it.
0: Yeah, so help me with that. I mean, aren't some people more right-brained than left Brain, I recall you actually teach me how to draw a tree once, uh, ten or fifteen years ago. <laughs> and my right. brother, who, who I would say is much more artistic than me, he was amazed at what I produced under your tutelage. But <laughs> I know that I couldn't mm. just do that today.
1: Why? <laughs> I'm afraid you're going to ask me that. I, I
0: don't recall everything that you taught me. That doesn't seem to come easy to me.
1: So I mean, I, that's probably a great example because. Um, I think that really shows that it's not something that you just innately don't have that other people have because already in one afternoon you you made great strides. And if you haven't really come back to it or, or practiced it since, well, it's it's not surprising that it wouldn't be something you feel comfortable doing. It's like any any other uh, ability in our lives. If we don't hone it, we don't practice it, we don't keep doing it, then we, we don't feel confident in it. But it's not... Um, artistic endeavors is, is a lot less mysterious than we make it out to be. There's a lot more that comes down to practice, technique, teaching. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of hopefully see that a little bit more from the from the Bible as well.
0: All right, I'll think about that one.
1: <laughs> so the second thing is kind of related to that is the myth that skill is the most important thing when it comes to art. And I'll just say that we're not only talking about visual arts like painting and drawing, the example we've just given, but really creative activity in general that can include music, writing and all kinds of art forms. So skill is the most important thing. It kind of reflects our tendency actually to make an idol of ourselves as artists, which is something that all artists have to struggle with or against. And we sort of make an idol out of skill. And so God, he generously gives ability, he equips us, and he expects us to hone those skills. But we shouldn't let our current perceived lack of skill become a barrier To improvement. Sometimes we put ourselves in the box that this is just not something I'm good at, so it's not something I'm going to try or something I'm going to develop, and we perhaps lose out on on some opportunities.
0: So is everyone born equally artistic?
1: Absolutely not. And I think, uh, you know, if you think of um, what the Bible says about different gifts that are given, different parts of the body, God definitely equips people differently. But I think um, there is a basic level of creativity that we all do have as image bearers of God. And we will be um, driven towards certain forms of, of expressing that creativity. And, mm-hmm. and even though we're not all born equal in, in terms of not just art, but really if you think of any area of life, we all are born uh, with different uh, capacities to learn, different learning speeds, different learning modes. But if there are things that uh, we want to learn, generally, you know, uh, as, as human beings, we can learn them. And so I think we overemphasize the distinction, it, it's, it is there. There are differences between people, but we overemphasize it.
0: And we use it as a, as a bit of a cop-out, you're saying, to not develop something.
1: At times, it can be, yeah. All right. So the third myth is the idea that I have to be able to monetize my art. And again, this comes to us in a culture that is, you know, obviously we have to live to, to survive, and, and there's the <laughs> the idea of the poor artist because, you know, it's not always a, a, a field that will bring a lot of money Um But for people in my generation, um, the equivalent of that might be, you know, the idea that I have to be able to start an Instagram page or, you know, a TikTok page or something. I have to be able to promote my art and people have to be able to see it. I have to have some kind of notoriety that comes along, making a name for myself or being able to, you know, turn into a hustle or a side hustle, a job. And if I don't do that well, then it's really just sort of an insignificant thing in my life. But I think we'll hopefully see over this podcast that it's, you know, we can bring Uh, Glory to God through our art without it necessarily being a form of income in our lives.
0: Agreed, 100%.
1: So the next myth is the idea that all Christian art should be directly about Christian things. And I actually have a whole section I want to talk about this in more detail a little bit later on. But it's important to remember that all artistic activity by a believer is Christian art. So not just things that directly speak about biblical themes. So if you are truly the Lord's, then your creativity cannot help Um, but speak his name. Sometimes it will speak between the lines and other times on the title page, but we'll come back to that one.
0: I'll look forward to coming back to that. But yeah, I think that's important. So a Christian could write a beautiful piece of music. Maybe it has no lyrics, no Christian lyrics. It can still be done as unto the Lord or for the glory of God. Maybe they put together a beautiful bouquet of flowers or design a beautiful dress that isn't, you wouldn't say that's Christian per se, but it is a Christian doing art, right?
1: Exactly, which makes it Christian art. Okay. Um, Another myth is the idea that art is a gendered activity. So, for example, in our culture, we might associate with something being more feminine. And I I don't see any basis for that. I don't think that's a biblical idea. So we need to...
0: David was a musical artist in the Bible.
1: The next one would be the idea that art has to be frivolous or high-minded. And we have sort of a distinction between the fine arts or what we might call craft uh, you know, it might not be something concrete and practical like renovating a hall basement. But I think that sort of cultural distinction between fine arts and craft, um, they sometimes hide the fact that I think all these impulses, this desire to create, they come from the same source, from our being made in the image of God. And so art doesn't have to be, uh, if you want art with a capital A, it doesn't have to be high-minded. Um, it's, I think we'll try to see that it can really be quite a wide definition.
0: All right. That's good. So six myths about art that Vincent has just dismantled. He's tearing down strongholds here today. The six (laughs) are artistic ability is only possessed by some people. Skill is the most important thing. If I'm going to create art, I have to be able to make money from it or else it's a waste of time. All Christian art should be explicitly Christian themed. Art is for girls, not for boys. And art has to be frivolous or high-minded. So again, those are wrong ideas that Vincent is dispelling. But Vince, this is a Christian podcast. We want to approach it theologically. So uh, you said that the we're we're going to draw some direction from the scriptures. Where do the scriptures point us on this subject of art?
1: Yeah. So you might think you know that the Bible doesn't say too much about art, but I think well. Try to go through it and see that really you know it's one thing to say okay these things are myths and they're things that are handed down by our culture we believe them instinctively or unconsciously without really knowing why and you know there's so many areas of life where we have to then take the time to actually go through scripture and, and retrain our, our, our way of thinking and the bible does say a lot about creativity and so i'll just go through a few things there's, there's way more that could be said but a little overview first of all I would turn right to the beginning of, of scriptures to you know, the definition of, of hu- humanity, or our role, what we are, and that's the image bearers of God, and that's a huge subject in itself. But when you think of God and the fact that he is the most creative being in the universe, he's the source of creativity, and the first pages of the Bible, right away, the first descriptions we have are of his creative activity. Mm-hmm. And so we're like him in many ways, um, and that includes our desire to create then i would go to the first the first man to adam and you know his first words are this are this poem when he sees eve when when uh, god creates her he responds in this poetic form and that's what's what's given to us in in the scriptures
0: yeah let me read those words this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh this one will be called woman for she was taken from man and even the way that that is uh, set up on the pages of my bible as the Bible publishers often do indicate that they believe it to be a poetic statement.
1: Yeah, then you can think of Adam's role in, in naming animals and the, the creative the creative activity that is associated with this act of naming. Um, his first work that he's given uh, in tending a garden, it's all creative related activity. And the the description of, of Eden is itself interesting. It really. Um, it shows that the, the world was designed with things that were not immediately apparent on the surface. They were meant to be discovered. And there were techniques that were to be developed. Um, it talks about there being gold in Havila. There's so little detail given there. But if you go through, you know, even the past f- a few centuries of scientific discovery, it's really based on this idea that God has created the world with things in it for us to search out and to discover and techniques to create. And you just think of all the advancements of society that have been made possible even by having a, a biblically founded worldview, art definitely fits within that because there are things in, in ourselves and how we respond to beauty that, are, that can be explored. There's materials and techniques to be developed. And that's all part of the creation of culture and of civilization. And it's built right into the universe. And we see it right away with the first man long before you know sin even enters the scene.
0: Yeah, the creativity of mankind is astonishing. The things that people have dreamt and then uh, put into practice and actual use, it's, it's phenomenal when you think of all the inventions of man, and that's a gift of God, like you're saying.
1: So skipping forward, um, there's the super well-known Sunday school hero. <laughs> I think you know everyone hears about him probably three or four times a year, Bezalil, right? I'm obviously being sarcastic. We don't hear about Bezalil and Aholiab. These are the designers of the uh, the visuals, if you want, for the for the tabernacle. And it's interesting because Bezalel, I believe, is the first person that we're told who is filled with the Spirit of God in scriptures. And so we see the role of God in empowering him to do his work.
0: That's very cool to me. I think that's that's a fascinating point, that these first men said to be filled with the Spirit. They are known for their artistic contributions to God's house.
1: So I'll just read short passage from Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. I think there's lots in that breakdown of those four words that Mm -hmm. could be examined. But verse 4, To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him a Aholaib, the son of Ahisamak of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So God, he does it in a specific way for some people, but I believe generally for humanity, he is the one that gives to all able men ability. He equips us to do creative work.
0: And would you say the Lord Jesus displays a creativity as well?
1: Yeah, so there's mysteriously little that's said about his life um, mm-hmm. in those silent years between his childhood and his his public ministry, but we're told that he was a, a tecton, is the, is the Greek word, or a, a builder, so someone who would have worked with various um, materials. We often imagine him in sort of a workshop working with wood, but most likely also with stone and various materials. And so in his um, physical, practical work before going into his ministry, he was a builder, which is interesting because the metaphors that come later in the New Testament about Christ building his church and so on, even the form of teaching that Christ um, preferred or used often of of parables is an interesting one, um, which sort of leads into my next point, which is of the whole Bible, how the whole Bible is written is really interesting when you stop and think about it, that most of it comes through us through stories and not through a tome of systematic theology. We take the stories and we distill the systematic theology from it. But maybe I'd ask you, Matthew, this question. Would you trade what we have um, for a handbook of systematic theology that just has all the answers out of Organized chapter by chapter, question by question, so we could just finally get some clarity on some of these uh, gray zones.
0: Yeah, not a chance, because I know that that would be boring for most people to read. That's one of the reasons. But I think your point is that it also reflects part of God's nature that he did not want to communicate it in that way.
1: Yeah, I think it bears meditating on, and I'm not saying I have it all figured out, but it's something that I've been trying to meditate on, understanding why... Why does God choose to speak to us, you know, in this way through what is really often a very artistically arranged um, form of speaking? And we lose a lot of that in translation at times. I think of, uh, especially in the Old Testament, this poetic technique of parallelism that is used throughout, you know, a lot of the Bible. It definitely would have made memorization easier, and we know that people in In Jewish culture for a long time would memorize huge huge parts of the Old Testament and that would facilitate that but also brings this this orderliness and this beauty to the text that in a way seems almost superfluous or Mm unnecessarily why didn't God just you know (laughs) tell us what we need to Mm -hmm. know and uh, we're so used to this sort of science textbook approach in our learning that we would usually favor that but God speaks to us in stories that maybe seem less clear it's it, it can be more work and a whole lifetime of meditation really to extract and to distill you know what god is trying to say and yet it it grips us down at a, a gut level that a textbook just wouldn't
0: yeah right i mean again i think particularly of the psalms or the song of solomon these are these are songs that god has put in the scripture and yes they contain theology but they they are far far from a theological textbook it's uh it's poetic it's an actual song that they sang and that's in our inspired bibles
1: yeah and if you move into the the new testament um i think of a text like the, the first verses in first corinthians 15 this what's recognized as an early a hymn or, or creed by the early church and it does seem like the early ch- uh, christian community when they're putting their theology into words often was in these memorable um, hymn formats and we have even singing as a key activity of the early church and a New Testament command for Christians throughout the ages. It's, Christians have been um, responsible throughout history for the development of a lot of music and music theory and you know, really linking it intimately with their faith. And so that's just another, another example. And um, just moving towards the end of the Bible, obviously there's lots of other places we could have stopped on our little survey, but we end towards the end of the Bible anyways with a wedding feast. And, you know, it sort of summarizes the final scenes of our future hope, this this wedding feast. And uh, one artist that, or a writer that I'm going to be referring to a few times in the podcast, um, Mako Fujimura, um, I'll just read this quote. He points out that a wedding has all the genres of the arts represented. Dance, spoken words, art, culinary expertise, fashion, and music. So I like that.
0: That's fantastic. That's a good summary that I think makes crystal clear that there is plenty of artistic expression in the scriptures god is a creative being and he's embedded that in his word as well
1: yeah and this kind of to bring us to our third point which is understanding the power of art as embodied people it sort of brings us to this point that not only has god designed uh scriptures and his mode of communication to us on this very artistic level or the tabernacle or the temple these you know the or the early hymns of the church, or the psalms, all these forms of artistic expression. God has has given us that, but he's also, on the other hand, um, designed us or fitted us as recipients of that, people that can appreciate that. And that God has created us with bodies. Uh, We're embodied people, and we react very strongly to forms of, of artistic expression because of the fact that we're designed that way. So one thought I was just... Um, in terms of, of this subject, I was thinking about, you know, sort of a culture analysis. If we look at the the West, so-called, very broadly, we see that, you know, in a few generations, values have shifted very, very quickly. And there's a lot of, you know, ink that's been spilled on that, thoughts on how, you know, people have so rapidly changed their, their intuitions or their thoughts about, you know, various topics. And you can kind of ask yourself, how did that happen? But, from my perspective, at least, it's not mainly been through reasoned debates or extensive research. Yes, there's been, you know, a lot of debates and research and things in, in university settings and, and philosophers and so and so on. But for most people, I think this shift has mainly been through stories, through art. So I think of the effect of TV shows, of of music, in changing people's mind and changing people's values. People felt that it was true before they believed it was true.
0: Yeah, Andrew Fletcher, who was an old Scottish writer and politician, once said, Let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. Which, Mm -hmm. again, is testifying to the fact that he knows that songs and uh, the stories in those songs are powerful ways to influence people.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to venture to say something which is 100% an opinion. But my opinion is in the past 100 years, if you look at... Written works, just look at literature for a minute. Written by Christians, there's been obviously some some heavyweights, some really good writers in the past hundred years. But which ones have had the greatest observable impact on the cultural imagination of the West? Not just Christians, but at large. I would suggest likely J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And I think of the Lord of the Rings trilogy um, or the, the, the Narnia. Obviously, these these men wrote a lot of essays. They're both professors. Um, but they, they, their fiction works have had a hold on the imagination of our culture that is actually surprising when our culture now believes in values that are, that are in opposition to a lot of what Tolkien and Lewis believed. And yet, these are still texts that are read in school. They're widely known. They're widely loved and appreciated by people today. They've had a huge, huge impact. And Lewis was very purposeful about that. He was passionate about the fact that this was one of the best ways to get into
0: people's minds was through these fantasy stories.
1: Yeah, so Philip Yancey, another writer, he, he brings up another example of, on the American side of things, for those who are not appreciating the British slant here on the choice of authors. He points out that Harriet Beecher Stowe, a radical Christian, sought to communicate the abolitionist message to many who had blocked their ears to sermons and jeremiads. That's a great word, by the way. She wrote a novel instead, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which sold 200,000 copies in its first year, and as much as any other force, goaded a nation towards change.
0: What is a jeremiad?
1: <laughs> putting me on the spot. I think it's a, it's sort of a rant or a, right. a sermonistic. Uh, that I just made up another word, but yeah. <laughs> so I guess a challenge to us, as as embodied people, as believers, is if we're only operating at the logical or intelli- intellectual level, when we're addressing things in our culture, we're maybe coming to a, a gunfight with swords. And so that's not to say that I have an a anti-intellectual approach, but I think sometimes we think that, you know, if we can deal with um, an argument or, or a thought process and write an essay that answers it, that that will sort of deal with the question. But our culture operates on, on other levels a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess there are New Testament books. I just think of like Romans and Galatians, very, very logical argumentation, you know, and their statement of truth and statement of fact. Um, so that is definitely there in Scripture. But our point today is that's not the only thing that's in Scripture.
1: That's right. That's good. So there must be a reason that God um, often or perhaps even mainly communicates through us through these artistic means, stories, poetry, texts that have a high degree of literary design and beauty even books like you mentioned like romans and so on when you break them down and we get mm. through the translation then there's a lot that's going on there artistically as well um i'm sure everyone likely on our podcast has at different times in their lives been moved by various forms of art so music for sure it's the one that comes most to mind when i think of art that's that's made me cry you know really moved me down to my core i think often of music but even the beauty of a sunset, yeah. um, of, a, of a natural scene, a painting, a story, God has wired us to be, to be moved by these things. And um, it's a result of his creative activity, his own direct creative activity in creation, but also the work of his apprentices, of his cre- creatures here on earth. So just sort of finish off this section again by saying I'm definitely a believer in the study of apologetics. I've spent a lot of time trying to read on these things myself, the sort of reasoned defense of our faith. But I think that making art is also in itself a form of apologetic. And I think that was brought up um, in the podcast um, by our brother, Seth Griffin, uh, way back, this idea that the the gospel can actually, there's an apologetic value to art in itself because it speaks to us on some levels that at times reason cannot.
0: That's good. Uh, Very helpful, accurate points. Now, one of the things you said you wanted to speak a little bit about is how Christian art is not just um, what we may think of as devotional art or what may be explicitly a Christian theme. Why don't you take us there now?
1: Yeah, so maybe this is part of what at times can alienate Christian artists from sort of the contemporary arts or the culture in general, or sometimes uh, people that have a creative impulse but don't, you know, make art that is, uh, you know, paintings of Christ or like a songs that are that are meant to be a sort of worship song directly they maybe feel that they it maybe starts to create this division within their lives where they they compartmentalize their art away from their faith and so you use this word devotional art we can make sort of a distinction between devotional art and Christian art more largely so devotional art by that we would maybe mean um, you know something like writing a hymn for a hymn book something that's directly you know used in worship or representing or teaching, uh, you know, a scene from the Bible, something that's that's pretty directly, obviously Christian. And there's obviously, you know, this hundreds of years of history of amazing examples of this. Uh, I'm a visual artist, and within you know, art galleries, we can see that there's there's value to that. But we shouldn't think that um Christians need to only produce that kind of art. and i'll I'll let other people say it better than I can. There's just a quotation here from Francis Schaeffer in his little book art in the bible he says christian art is by no means always religious art that is art which deals with religious themes consider god the creator is god's creation totally involved with religious subjects what about the universe the birds the trees the mountains what about the bird's song and the sound of the wind in the trees when god created out of nothing by his spoken word he did not just create religious quote-unquote objects And in the Bible, as we've seen, God commanded the artist, working within God's own creation, to fashion statues of oxen and lions and carvings of almond blossoms for the tabernacle and temple. Christian art is the expression of the whole life, of the whole person who is a Christian. What a Christian portrays in his art is the totality of life. Art is not to be solely a vehicle for some sort of self-conscious evangelism.
0: Have you read that whole book by Francis Schaeffer?
1: Yeah, it takes about 20, 30 minutes, not too long. Okay, yeah. so you'd recommend it? Yeah, I would. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Mike mentioned it at the, in that last podcast as well. And uh, we talked about C.S. Lewis already today. He draws out the power of a worldview as it comes alive in artistic expression, both as a danger when it assumes an unbiblical worldview or its potential when it embodies a biblical one. So this is another sort of long quotation, but I, I find it very powerful. He says... Our faith is not very likely to be shaken by any book on Hinduism, but if whenever we read an elementary book on geology, botany, politics, or astronomy, we found that its implications were Hindu, that would shake us. Mm. It is not the books written in direct defense of materialism. There he's talking about sort of the pervasive you know, uh, um, assumption of our culture, this idea that there's no spiritual realm. It is not the books written in direct defense of materialism that make the modern man a materialist. It is the materialist assumptions in all the other books. Mm, That's awesome. I believe that any Christian who is qualified to write a good popular book on any science may do much more by that than by any direct apologetic work. We can make people often attend to the Christian point of view for half an hour or so really hits hard there with our normal gospel meeting timing. But but the moment they've gone away from our lecture or laid down our article, they are plunged back into a world where the opposite position is taken for granted. What we want is not more little books about Christianity, but more little books by Christians on other subjects with their Christianity latent. And by that he means that it's not directly about Christian things, but the Christianity is the whole uh, context for everything they're writing about. It's the assumption that's beneath it. It's the worldview that they're functioning from. It's Christianity latent.
0: All right, thank you for that. As we are needing to wind down this first episode, Vincent, can you give us a few takeaways from the material you've explained to us today?
1: So hopefully in the next episode, we'll be talking about going out and making things, getting our hands dirty. But the takeaway I want to leave you with in this first episode is to open your eyes To the art that's around you. So, what do I mean by that? First and foremost, in God's direct and sublime works of art, his creation, his word, and his image bearers. There's lots to enjoy and appreciate there, obviously, if we have the eyes to do it. But then also in the secondhand creations, the ones made by his um, attendants, his apprentices, Hmm. humans. So, that doesn't just only mean art by Christians. You can look at art by unbelievers or I say look at, I know I'm betraying a a visual arts, uh, but really I'm talking about experiencing all forms of arts, by unbelievers and see how they transmit implicit values and worldviews. So what do they get right? What truths have they touched upon? And what are they missing that a biblical worldview can supply? And then look at art by believers and see whether it tells a different story, whether it succeeds in reflecting God's glory into the world.
0: Yeah, aren't there so many stories from our childhood about someone in trouble being rescued you know maybe someone maybe a princess is taken captive by a dragon and the knight comes and rescues her that's a that's a theme that is in our culture I would say uh, but that reflects the biblical story of the gospel really
1: yeah I think there are echoes all over the place of this universal story um, and like I said often when you look at arts by someone that has a totally different worldview from you, there's still nuggets of truth. There's often things that we can agree with and that actually are perhaps said more powerfully than have ever been said anywhere else. Even when it comes, I think of, you know, people have a lot of beef with modern art, but there's there's something that's revealed there about the human condition, and specifically in regards to modernity and to to the kind of world we're living in today that is often touched upon very powerfully. So I think if we come in critically, we can appreciate and see those things while still you know, holding up to the light of Scripture.
0: You did also give us a warning back at the very beginning that um, the artistic environment can also often be, it can be a very anti-Christian environment too, right? Uh, Just to, I don't know, to balance what you're saying, but just to remind ourselves of that also.
1: Yeah. So more to be said, perhaps (laughs) a whole other topic, but we'll just maybe finish with uh, a last quotation. This is by Philip Yancey, I refer to as writer, um, and he says, perhaps the very existence of art, its inherent, permanent, seeming worth, as well as its echo of original creation, can be a pointer to a grand artist, a rumor of transcendence. 500 years ago, the Renaissance scholar Pico della Mirandola delivered his famous oration on the dignity of man, which defined the role of humanity in creation. After God had created the animals, all the essential roles had been filled. But the divine artificer still longed for some creature which might comprehend the meaning of so vast an achievement, which might be moved with love at its beauty and smitten with awe at its grandeur, to contemplate and appreciate all the rest, to reflect on meaning, to share in the power and exuberance of creativity, to revere and to hollow. These were the roles reserved for the species species made in God's image.
0: I'm just thinking of that last sentence. Let me repeat that. To contemplate and appreciate all the rest, to reflect on meaning, to share in the power and exuberance of creativity, to revere and to hallow, to treat as holy. These were the roles reserved for the species made in God's image. That's you and me, brothers and sisters. So we're thankful to uh, be led to think about these things and to perceive God's artistic activity all through the universe and ways that we can learn to express that as well. We're going to have Vince come back for part two on our next episode. We look forward to that. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. May the Lord bless you all.